0: We're in a season of Pentecost, basically. Um, If you look at the disciples and the ministry of Jesus, you know that after the resurrection, the Bible tells us he was 40 days with the disciples, in which he showed himself alive in groups of one, two, three, and as many as 500 people. It says in many infallible proofs he showed himself alive. The reality is he spent time with the disciples, and it tells us that he taught of the things of the kingdom. And in the, in the reality of the, of, the, of the commission, when he was leaving in Acts chapter 1, he, it tells us after he did that, he released them and go and wait in Jerusalem till you're endued with power. And so there was that command during that season to go in. And I've often been marveled at how these disciples, 120 of them, all the logistics of kids, family, food, they stayed there for 10 days till they were endued with power. I want to talk to you today about pursuing, uh, preparing rather, for the presence of God because we need to be people who are preparing for the presence of God. And, And God led me to a passage of scripture that I believe will quickly support what I want to share with you today because I believe we need to recognize we need to prepare for the presence of God. It's not just something that happens. God's a God of systems. God's a God of systems of organization. If you look at the, the Old Testament um, sacrificial system, you look at the altar, you look at the Ark of the Covenant, all these things were set in place, and God gave Moses strict commands. He said, make sure you do it according to the pattern that I gave you. And everything was to be done in intricate detail for a purpose and for a reason. God's a God of order. Creation shows God's a God of order. I mean, we got... Throughout, the, throughout, the, uh, throughout, the, um, throughout nature, uh, you know, digestive system, um, uh, reproductive system, circulatory system, I mean, it all goes on. It shows the handbrush of God and the order of God. If you want to look at a painter, you look at his characteristics. Well, the Bible tells that nature shows the characteristic of God, his order, the seasons, the solar system. Everything is in order. And I think we deceive ourselves into thinking that a lot of times when it comes down to the presence of God, that there isn't an order. There is. I don't want to get legalistic here and say this is the way it's got to go. But I think God's given us some plans and that we can work by. You know, God help us as leaders. We don't know where we're going, what, what to work with. But he does. He gives us some specific plans. Worship team. We know that we go from outer courts, praise to inner, to the holy of holies. That's a system. That's a, that's a process. The Lord's Prayer is a system and a process where, he, where we start off with praise and worship and we talk about the kingdom coming and glorifying him. There's a system. Well, I think when it comes to preparing for the presence of God, there is also a system that it would do us good to know that today. Allow me to quickly go over some things with you. Let's turn to First Chronicles chapter 15, 1-2, and then we're going to look at chapter 13 as well today. But first of all, turn with me to chapter 15, 1-2. Because you're going to see a situation now with David and the Ark of the Covenant. If you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant was, the Ark of the Covenant was that item in the sacrificial system that God created to represent who he was in his presence and to be as a mediator between God and man. The mercy seat was where they applied the blood annually. Inside that was the Ten Commandments. The Ark of the Chairman is where the presence of God lived and dwelt. It's the national symbol of of Israel. It's vitally important. It's essential. Probably some of you have probably known more about it from the uh, uh, Ark, what's it called? Yeah, Indiana Jones. Yeah, Jones the the, the uh, Indiana Jones things about how important the Ark of the Covenant was. But in, if you look at the Old Testament, you'll see that it was vital. It was the national standing or the, or the means of national standing of Israel between them and Jehovah God. It had a very important place in this religious life. And in in this chapter, you're going to sit down you're going to see, over these two chapters, some interesting developments, and David in particular. Look at 15, 1 and 2 with me first, if you would. After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and minister before him forever. We're going to close with that verse when, we, when we're done. But now look to chapter 13 with me, if you would, beginning at verse 1. It's a kind of a sad state. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds. Hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel, and also to the priests and the Levites who are with them in their towns and their pasture lands, to come and join us. Let's bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all Israel from the Shihor River in Egypt to Lebo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all Israel went to Bela of Judah, or Kiriath-Jerim, to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by his name. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God, with songs, with harps, lyres, timbrels, cymbals, and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kittin, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark, because the oxen stumbled, and the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and struck him down, because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Then David was angry, because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And this day, that place is called Perez-Uzzah. David was afraid of of God that day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. The Lord blessed his household and everything he had. Now, this is kind of a sad story because if you recall, the, uh, the, Philist- the Israelites took the Ark of the Covenant into battle thinking that it would help them beat the Philistines. Well, unfortunately, the Philistines ended up beating them under Saul's leadership at the time. And they captured the Ark. And the Ark, of course, then was, was, um, was, w- it caused a lot of health problems for them, let's say and they released it back to the Israelites on a cart and just let it go back into their territory. Well, they grabbed it and stored it at Abinadab's house. It was there, for some Bible scholars believe, for 70 years. Not inquired, not sacrificed on, completely isolated and left alone. To me, that's total spiritual failure. If that represented the presence of God and the fullness of God in his people, something was drastically wrong. There was a process here, folks, that wasn't being followed through on. Something had broken down. In the whole time of Saul, it says, they hadn't conferred on it. But something happens within David's heart. And he begins to recognize that he needs to have the presence of God. First of all, look at verses 1 to 4, David's desire. He had a great desire to bring the ark back. He inquires of his people. He talks to them, and the Bible says it all seemed good to them to do it. What had been stolen, captive, was now being returned. They wanted to go get it, and, they went and they were, their plan was to go and get it and return it. But unfortunately, it's kind of hard to believe that 70 years would go by. There'd be a lot of knowledge not conveyed in those 70 years to generations to come. And you know something? In some ways, that's where we're at in many ways today when it comes to the fullness of the Spirit and the presence of God. Things have not been conveyed as they should have been. Somewhere along the life, we've settled for the fact of knowing that the ark was out there somewhere. It's elusive. We've stored it somewhere. But we're not practicing the presence of God. We're not preparing for it. We've put it on ice. But David's incredible desire stirs him. And I love it because it's it's the Psalms that... That he expresses in Psalm 42, 1, when he says, you know, uh, uh, he, he talks about, uh, about stinging in his eyes and desire in his heart to be able to bring the presence of God to him. And they say that psalm may have been written in that time frame. That the cry of his heart, the, the, the drive of his heart was to bring the presence of God back into the Israelite nation that had been so far from God under Saul's reign. They wanted to return the ark that had been stolen back to its rightful place where it had been isolated, where something that important had been neglected and left at Abinadab's house. But David was not a man of just desire. David was a man of doing. And the Bible tells us now in verses 5 to 8, David, he had some doings. David assembled all Israel. And there they go after the ark. It looks in verse 7. They move the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart. Now, we got to stop there and think about that. Because... Immediately, if you know anything about your, your Bible procedures, you know the ark was not to be moved on a cart. They didn't have the knowledge to know that. They weren't prepared to do what they wanted to do. And, you know, sometimes that's the case with us, too. We walk into situations, and we don't, we're not prepared to do them. My first church I took on, I was just 27 years of age. And I, I didn't know what I was doing. And we were in a, in a difficult town, and we, we had all kinds of things working against us. And when we, we and in the end, we, we were able to fill that church. And we had that 90s uh, renewal movement burst out in our midst, and it was exciting. It was powerful. And in the end, when I was leaving, one of the guys in the community said, I don't know how you did that. And, and I said to myself, I, I, I told him, I said, I don't know how we did it either. I didn't have any set of directions around the gap, but you kind of... Trog along as you're going and God leads you and directs you because if your hearts open he will lead you and he will direct you The new cart One guy I heard said, you know It's too bad that we in Christianity think that God moves with big wheels and big boards Mm -hmm. Think about that one. I laughed at that when I heard that because in many ways he does if they're sanctified God uses people with skill and knowledge. He doesn't always use pastors either. He uses people in the congregation who love God and who serve God and come around. And I tell you, I am grateful over the years for the people who have come around me because I've served as a layman over the last number of years out in the secular work- workforce. And the people who came around me and supported me and loved me and were there and wanted me to succeed was incredible. And I value those people. And, you know, a lot of them have incredible skills, and a lot of them in those years went on to ministry on their own. And I'll tell you this, and I remember, you know, when when we were there and we'd be releasing people into ministry, and I'd be saying, man, why can't these people stay here? But, you know, a church's strength is determined by its sending power, not its keeping power. You know, this church, too has sent people everywhere. I mean, our little church over there in, in, in Dartmouth, I mean, I, there are people on the mission field all over the world because of that, because of that church. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, some churches don't send one person in a hundred years. This church has been 25 and it's got four or five already on the field in some way, shape or form that we're endeavoring to support and give. The aspect of, of a new cart is another thing that we need to just talk about. Because, you know, we're, every new day requires a new method. And I know that. And today's method is, 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 is wonderful, but I, I have some concerns about some things. And I want us to always be careful that just because we jump on a new cart that we think that it's, that's the way to go. I, I really think we need to always be examining the patterns that God has set for us before we jump on something new. And and I believe wholeheartedly that we, we can do that as God's people and screen ourselves and protect the people of God. Now look at, they were screaming and hollering and jumping and dancing and carrying on, and they were in error. You see that? They were in error. They weren't doing it the right way, but man, they were doing everything they could to make it seem like it, maybe. But it wasn't happening. As a matter of fact, the judgment of God falls on them. Now, it's interesting because, you know, I remember statistics. If you, I've been an old dog, I've been around a while. Statistics that came out about 20 years ago talked about my generation being one of the hardest ones because they saw their parents who had the glory of God, but it did not have the healing and the restoration of their souls in place. And the, the generation became bitter and hard against the move of God. They saw them as nutballs. And you see that sometimes it's a shame, but that happens. And so when we don't keep the procedures and the patterns that God has set in place, how quickly we can fall into disrepair and be minus the presence of God. As we go, and I, I, I was looking at something I want to share with my own congregation next week, and that's the fact is, what do we do as a congregation? How do we know that we're, we're thriving and functioning under the, the, under the shell that God would want us to do? Well, one of them, of course, is, um, is community. Then there's healing and restoration. There's all kinds of things that, that we need to have in place. And then the last one, of course, is being outwardly missionary in what we do, which is not good if we're all just tanking it up inside, but the importance of knowing that we have community and knowing the importance of from that community comes healing. Nothing brings people in to the kingdom of God than the sense of community. It's an essential. You can witness them to, the, to your blue in the face. But if they come in and sense love, acceptance, and forgiveness, you see, that's God's plan. That's not a new cart. That's an old cart that's been in place for a long time. And then when they get healed up and restored, nothing stirs them more than to see people who are in bondage set free. That makes them want to drink. That's an old cart, folks. That's nothing new. But David has an incredible dismay because his presumption led to somebody's death. As a result of the the, uh, stumbling of the animal The gentleman reaches out to to steady, great intention, but God strikes him dead because, again, that was another procedure. Nobody was to touch the ark. It was forbidden to be touched, but they didn't know that, and there was a casualty. There's all kinds of casualties when we're in pursuit of the presence if we don't do it God's way. David was dismayed. The Bible tells us that he was angry. And I love the original language. It talks about he was snorting mad. (laughs) He He was breathing and sweating profusely. I mean, this guy just wasn't. He was angry. And why was he angry? Because, you see, everything he had planned and thought was supposed to be was not happening. That's when we get all uptight and anxious. Because when we thought things should be a certain way... And the one, when they don't pan out that way and, and it hits us in the face, then you see, we get a little snorty. So he was in, in total dismay, total confusion, didn't know what he was going to do. And I love what he says in the, in the, in the verses, priests, uh, after that. Look at verse 11. David was angry, or as one version says, that he was full of the respect of God because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, the place is called Perezuzah. David was afraid—that was the one. It's respect of God that day, and asked. And I love this verse because anybody who's at work in the kingdom and who has a sincere heart and is struggling to do what they want for God comes to this statement many times. How can I bring the ark of God to me? He was in total dismay, in dismay rather. He was desperate. He had tried what he thought was going to work. But he was desperate and disappointed. David was afraid of that day, God that day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom. the Bittite. Now, that's an important statement, too. Because, you see, he waited on God. He waited on God. He didn't jump. He waited on God. And today, if there's anything I can leave with you, and I'm closing here in a moment, is that in Acts chapter 1, when we prepare for the presence, waiting is an essential element. We we as Pentecostals, I remember prayer rooms in the back of our sanctuaries. You see, because we would go there and wait on God. Sunday nights, we waited on God. And I heard a, 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 an article here just recently that said, one of the reasons why we in North America are not getting, seeing people filled with the Holy Spirit is because we are not allowing for the presence of God in our services because our Sunday mornings are not structured to allow such a thing. It's not people's hunger. It's not the need. It's are we giving time and place for them to wait on God. And so today, the order, as we close, the order today is that you would recognize that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, promised the fullness of his presence. says it's a gift. It's the spirit of truth. But then he told them to go and wait. That's a procedure to me. That's something that we need to recognize needs to be followed wholeheartedly. Now let me close with this. Let's go back to the 15th chapter. Because we started with that. But in that waiting period, David discovers something important. Because he realizes that the ark was not to be taken on a cart. It was to be carried with poles by the Levitical priesthood. And not only that, it was to be carried by the Kohathites. They were a specific breed who had been given the dictated order to carry that Ark. No one else was allowed to. That speaks to us today because those were the leaders. So in that time of discovery and waiting, and that's what we do. We wait. I know in in, in 1975 when I found Jesus, I was baptized with the Spirit two weeks later. And I read the book, you know, The Holy Spirit in You by Dennis Bennett. Anybody remember that book? He was an Anglican cleric out of Seattle, Washington. And the charismatic movement was being rocked by this book. I didn't get a Pentecostal author. I ended up being taught by an Anglican cleric about the Holy Spirit. Wow. So as we close, David says this. The scripture tells that David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and minister to him forever. Flipping over further on, he says, I have prepared a place for it. He recognized that the ark was supposed to have a surrounding around it with all of the various chambers and all the artifacts around it. He educated himself. He learned something about what would precede the presence of God. And we need to do that. We need to be people who recognize we need to be prepared. Going on and quickly this. He says, we did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves... In order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, and the Levites carried the ark of God with poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded them in accordance with the word of God. Way back in the Pentateuch, there was the orders of how to carry it, how to make it happen, how to bring it in. Well, what does that say to us? brother? it says you and me carry a very important place in carrying that presence of God. We shoulder the poles. We're the ones. Your leaders in your church, you carry the ark on your shoulders. Mom, dads, in particular, spiritual priesthood, we carry the ark on our shoulders. We can't carry it in a cart. You can't go and visit it in a museum. It's something we carry, it's something we have to shoulder. It's responsibility. It's a pattern, but it's always rewarding because God will always bless us with His presence. He will, it's simple folks. I don't wanna make it sound complicated, it's simple. We just need to pick it up and carry it and do what God says. Wait on him and God will honor us. Now, I'm gonna ask very unusually here today. I want the pastoral staff to come forward, please. And behind them I want your your spiritual board to come behind them. Please, come. You're on staff, you're a leader, you have something to do in this congregation, come. We're gonna pray and close. pastors are only good as the leaders that are around them. And you know something? Leaders are only as good as the people that are around them. They're not perfect, but I know they want the presence of God. I know the DNA of this congregation, and I know they've always wanted the presence of God. They've experienced the fullness of God down through their years. Rest of you stand with me for a moment, would you? we wait in your presence right now we know your presence wants to be poured out in this congregation and from this congregation to the streets and to the world today god we look to you the mighty god today knowing that your presence makes the difference not human effort it's your presence today god and we covet your presence today lord I pray for the leaders and the pastors of this congregation today, God. And I pray, mighty God, today that your hand will rest upon them. Give them vision. Give them boldness. Give them new dreams and insights that they've never had before. God, may they be willing to pay the price for the presence of God. God, may they find places to wait on you and not be quick to jump. Lord, may we not just throw you on the cart and say, here, come, bring it to us. But God, today, may we shoulder it. The weight, the responsibility, the pattern, that God, you might bless us as your people today, God. Not with human effort, but God, with your presence. You make the difference, God. And so, Lord, I call on you to make the difference today. Make the difference in Jesus' name. Make the difference. Go ahead, worship team. Lead us in a a song, if you would. Just wait on the Lord today. I'm going to ask you to come in a moment once they sing a song to come forward and stand behind your leaders today. Folks from Sun Life, you can come as well. and Come and stand with your folks today in community and church today. Believing God is going to give you his presence in this year as never before. you would be preparing for the presence of God today in the up and coming weeks in Jesus' name.